will, please turn your Bibles to Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8. If you don't have a Bible, let me encourage you to grab one out of the chair in front of you. Um, it's on page 944 there in that Bible. If you don't own a Bible or can't find your Bible, take one of those Bibles. Even though the adults are studying the Ten Commandments, that's not breaking a commandment. Because we want you to take it. It's there for you. We want you to open up the words of life with us and study the scriptures together. So we're in Romans 8. Our passage of study is verses 18 through 25. And I'll be honest with you, I didn't plan this out well. I don't like doing like seven verses at a time. I'm more of a one-verse guy. So it's going to be a challenge to get through these seven verses, but how, how glorious they are. This is God's holy word. God breathed, inspired by the Holy Spirit through the writings of the Apostle Paul. Romans chapter 8, verses 18 through 25. For I considered that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. The creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we eagerly wait for the adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope. For who hope for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Let's pray. Our God and Father, help us to understand, to see the glorious truths that are written here in our Holy Bibles. Father, we pray that now in a in a way that maybe we can't even fully understand, would you open up our minds and our hearts and help us to, to see the eternal glories that your word contains. Father, some of these things we agree with the Apostle Peter are hard to understand. Father, we trust that your Holy Spirit will take the truths and make them known to us. And strengthen us and change us, as was prayed earlier. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. The past few months in our world have been rough. You thought about that? You've been paying attention? I mean, think about all the things that have happened. I mean, how many hurricanes have there been? I mean, I've lost count. You know, Keeping up with the names of all the hurricanes is like keeping up with the names of all your grandchildren or something like that. I mean, it's just a bunch of them. It's affected many of us and many people we love. How many murders have there been? 
How much carnage have we witnessed here lately? Think about here in our own country, how much disrespect has there been for authority and basic human decency? It makes us think, what else is going to happen next? What else is going to happen next to leave us thinking, to leave us sad, to leave us hurt, to leave us frustrated, to leave, leave us longing? Lord, how long? How much longer is all of this bad stuff going to take place? And I believe here in Romans chapter 8, we begin to find some answers. We do find hope. So far in Romans chapter 8, if you think about what we've surveyed starting back in verse 1 all the way up until now, we have toured some of the greatest doctrines of the Christian life and indeed some of the most wonderful truths that we could ever know in this world. These doctrines that include things like justification, and sanctification, and adoption, This truth about justification, that we have been declared righteous before a holy God, that there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, because in Christ Jesus we have been set free from the law of sin and death. Then sanctification, that in Christ we are no longer slaves to sin. We don't have to bow down to it to obey it. Because the Holy Spirit lives in those who are in Christ. And the Holy Spirit helps us to say no to sin and yes to righteousness. And then last week, Pastor Russ took us on this tour through this glorious doctrine of adoption. That in Christ Jesus, we are now children of the living God. And we have this amazing standing before this holy God where we can now call him Father, which is considered blasphemy in other religions. God is our heavenly Father, and we are are heirs of the kingdom. We all get an inheritance that is far more glorious than anything we could ever imagine. And we get to inherit it with our older brother in the faith. The one we strive to be like, the Lord Jesus Christ, being with him in the kingdom of heaven forever. And these are wonderful truths. And these wonderful truths are what have led me, at least, to say that I think Romans 8 is the greatest chapter in the Bible because of all these glorious things that are written for us. Because the gospel hope And the assurance that we have in Christ is right here in these very words. And now we'll see next in our passage in Romans 8, another wonderful doctrine, another wonderful truth called glorification. So we like to add occasions to every one of our fancy Bible words. So we got another occasion, glorification. Being that final state of God's plan of redemption that we will experience when the Lord Jesus Christ returns and the new heavens and the new earth are established and we are given new and perfected bodies. 
This is that glory that is to be revealed that the Apostle Paul is talking about here in this passage. This glory that is to be revealed is going to be amazing. And even that word, that adjective, falls short of describing what it will be like. What God is going to do when Christ returns and he rolls up human history as a scroll is going to be so wonderful and so glorious that it's hard for us to even imagine what it's going to be like because there's absolutely nothing to compare it to. The Apostle Paul, who's really good at illustrations, who's probably the the best preacher there ever was, even he says in verse 18, there's nothing to compare with this glory that is to be revealed. It's going to be that amazing, that awesome. But before we get to this glory, we must see the connection that the Apostle Paul makes here. Indeed, the whole Bible makes That there is a path to glory. And this path to glory includes suffering. Before we get to glory, we must suffer. Before Christ got the crown, he got the cross. And not only do we suffer, Paul goes into this explanation here that even the creation itself suffers. The creation itself has been subjected to futility. And this leaves us longing. Longing and looking for hope. Where can hope be found? And as we look at this passage, I think it's going to be helpful for us to look for this glory, to look for this hope by looking at the promises that God has made to us in Christ Jesus. Really, Romans 8 is one big promise, and, every, and this big promise is broken up into a bunch of smaller promises that all encompass one giant, big, awesome promise. And so let's look at three promises in particular in this passage. The first is that God has a plan for our suffering. The second is that those who are in Christ Jesus have a sure hope Because we have the first fruits of the Spirit. And thirdly, this promise that our final redemption is an already, but a not yet. Let's look at this first promise, that God has a plan for our suffering. Look there in verse 18. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing the glory that is to be revealed in us. This leaves us thinking, Why is there suffering? Why? In spite of all these wonderful blessings, all these wonderful truths that we studied so far in Romans chapter 8, all of the great things that belong to those who are in Christ Jesus, we still have suffering. And so why is suffering brought up in this context? And that is why the Apostle Paul makes the connection back in verse 17 that being a children of God means that we will suffer. We will suffer because the Lord Jesus Christ suffered. If we're connected to him, we're in him, and suffering is going to be a part of our reality. And so what the Apostle Paul wants to do here in this passage, he's not just trying to take us all to seminary. He's not just trying to say, let me give you the best theological education the world has ever known. He wants to deal with them as a pastor. 
very pastoral. He wants to deal with an issue that the Roman Christians for sure would have known. And you have to think about this in the context of how Christians were treated in Rome in this time. They were used as human torches. They were fed to lions. Suffering was not a theoretical thing for them. It was a very real thing. And that is why the Apostle Paul wants to minister to them in a very intimate, in a very personal and pastoral way on the issue of suffering. Because he's not just talking about a generic suffering. Again, very personal suffering. But even a world that has been left suffering. Even a world that as we look around us has been groaning in bondage to corruption and decay, he describes in these verses. And so again, the Apostle Paul is not just trying to give them good theological doctrines. He's trying to help them understand that all of these wonderful blessings that we have in Christ are ours for the taking, even though now we suffer. And brothers and sisters, he says, even though you suffer, you need to know, you need to look forward that none of that compares with the glory that is to be revealed. We will still suffer. Paul is not seeking to pastor men and women, children, in an ideal world. But all of us who live in the real world, a fallen world. And this is what the Bible does. This is what the scriptures do in ministering to us. It gives us what life is like and the truth that we need in a fallen world. For the world that we live in now has been subjected to sin. It's been marred by sin and death. A world that suffers and is inhabited by a people that suffers. And if you don't believe that, you're not paying attention. And if that has not come a reality to you, it it will. And so back again in verse 17, the Apostle Paul says something that, frankly, I don't like. I don't like it. I mean, he just says very matter-of-factly, hey, you get to be heirs of the kingdom of God, and you get everything in Christ Jesus as a son of the li- and a daughter of the living God, provided that you suffer. What? I don't want to suffer. I don't like that. We shouldn't be upset about that. This is not something new the Apostle Paul is saying here. Jesus said it very, very clearly. If they persecuted me, he said, they will persecute you. Over and over and over, he told his followers, it's not going to all be rosy. And that's the why the health and wealth gospel is so dangerous and so demonic. Because it's the absolute opposite thing of what Jesus said. He said, we'll suffer. And this is part of being connected to him and his kingdom. But the truth is, we don't like to suffer. No one likes to suffer. No one wishes suffering on anyone. And so this reality of suffering can and should lead us to ask the question of why. Why is there suffering? Why all the pain? Why all the suffering that we experience in our lives and that other people experience? 
Why is our world suffering? Why is there evil? Why do we feel like this world is not right? It's not just. It's not the way that it should be. The reason is because the world has been subjected to a curse. That's what the Apostle Paul here is. He's alluding back to Genesis chapter 3. The world we live in has fallen. It is under a curse. It has been subjected to futility. Because God did it. And God did it not because he wants to be hateful or sinister. He actually did it to teach us and to show his glory. The Bible says the world was subjected to futility in hope. This hope of glory. The hope of the glory that is yet to be finally revealed. The hope that leads us, leaves us longing and asking, why? Why is there suffering? Why is it here? And so when you feel that this world is not right, when you feel that suffering is not the way that it should be, this feeling that you have that there must be more, that there's got to be a world where suffering and evil and pain does not exist, when you feel that way, then brothers and sisters, you are right on target. You are close to understanding this hope. This is the hope that we're longing for. This is why C.S. Lewis once famously said, if we find ourselves with a desire that nothing in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that we were made for another world. Is this not true? Is this not the hope that we long for, the fact that there was a fall, that it had cosmic implications, that a curse fell on us all and on this world, mankind fell into sin, and sin has marred us and marred this beautiful creation that God has made, and ever since then, even the creation itself has been groaning and yearning for restoration. In other words, even the creation itself is not what it's supposed to be. There's not supposed to be hurricanes. Is there? There's not supposed to be earthquakes. All of this leads us longing and saying there's got to be something better. Do you you ever wonder why we still suffer and why this world is still suffering even though Christ has come and we are now children of the living God. We still suffer. And I know many of you suffer. Many of you share your suffering with me and the elders. We pray for you and we strive to encourage you. But it still leads us longing. Many of your suffering, maybe it doesn't take place in the form of persecution for your faith, but it might, it probably will. 
But for many of us, the suffering takes place in very common forms, like getting sick. Sick is no fun. Wouldn't it be great to put the doctors out of business? Many of you are suffering for longing for loved ones who are ill. There's hunger and famine in our world. Financial difficulties. Frail bodies. Bodies that are just wearing out. Getting old. Huge bottles of Advil in our cabinets. Suffering is very real for many of us. It's not just a possibility. It's actually taking place. And if you don't feel like you're suffering now, just wait. Just wait. So how do we cope with suffering? How do we deal with it? We do it by realizing not just the blessings that we have in Christ now. Yes, we must hold tightly to those. But we also need to grapple and wrestle with the blessings that are to come. There is a future hope. There are blessings that we are going to have. Because only as we see what the gospel is going to do can we deal with the sufferings and experiencing that we ha- experiences that we have now. Only as we understand what God is going to do in this glory to be revealed can we be sustained in the sufferings that we have for today. This is the key. This is what the Apostle Paul is teaching us. This is the promise that God has made, that the way of suffering is the way to glory. The way of the cross is the way to the crown for the Lord Jesus Christ. And so suffering reminds us that we have a hope, a hope that we do not see Because if it was a hope that we could see, that it wouldn't be hope, Paul says. For who hopes for what he sees? It's a hope for what we long to see, a future hope. And so, my friends, we need to have a biblical understanding of suffering. And that is that suffering is to be expected, is in fact promised to us. Suffering is the proof of our relationship with God. That he longs to bring us into this full revealed glory. Because as Christ suffered and was glorified, so we will also. And so we must know and we must believe that God is sovereign over our sufferings. Do you believe that? Do you believe that suffering is part of God's will for your life? That's a hard thing to believe. That's a hard truth to grasp. In a few weeks, we're going to look at this verse in in Romans 8, 28, that many of us have memorized, many of you have held on to for comfort and hope. I know I have. That in all things, God works for the good of those who love him. All things. And certainly, that must and does include Suffering. Our sufferings now, though, Paul says. Brothers and sisters, you need to know, you need to look forward. It does not hold a candle to the glory 
that is to be revealed in us. So we must hold tight to that promise in this world. The second promise that we have here in this passage is that we have the first fruits of the Holy Spirit. That seems like strange kind of Bible talk, so what, what does that mean? Well, we've already gone through the wonderful implications of the fact that our justification and our sanctification and our adoption is so sure and so wonderful because God lives in us. We have the Holy Spirit indwelling in us, and so all of the promises are sure and yes and amen and will be complete because of that. But here in verse 23, this eager longing that we have for God to complete his wonderful plan of salvation is, in fact, because of the Holy Spirit living in us. We have the first fruits of the Spirit, the Apostle Paul says. This is a word in Greek that can also mean birth certificate. The Holy Spirit living and dwelling in God's people means that we have a birth certificate. We belong to God. He is our heavenly Father. We have rock-solid proof that we belong to Him, and that Holy Spirit is that proof. The first fruits are all, is also in Hebrew agriculture to be uh, reminiscent and remind us that the, the first of the harvest that comes forth, the first fruits, the first vegetables, all of that is a wonderful reminder that God will provide, that he will do what he said that he will do, that he will provide for his people. He's guaranteed it. He has promised it. And he gave us his spirit to do that. All this to say that we have a wonderful promise and an assurance that God will do what he says for his children. And he will even redeem our bodies in such a way. He will glorify our bodies in such a profound and personal way that in the Bible, and Paul says in other places in the scripture, that our bodies will be transformed to be like Jesus' glorified body. Again, a truth so amazing it's hard to imagine. And God will and can do all this because that's what he longs to do. That is what his plan is for our hope. That is what the purpose of our suffering is. To bring, so that God can bring glory to himself. And he's going to do this because he lives in us who believe. And if we have the first fruits of the Spirit... If God is so amazing and so wonderful and so loving that he chose to dwell and live in us, of course he is going to finish what he started and he's going to redeem all things because he has no choice but to do so because if he doesn't, he's denying himself. God longs to bring glory to himself and so he is going to finish what he started. For those who are in Christ Jesus and have the Holy Spirit. What an amazing promise. One final promise there. Is that God's plan of redemption. His plan of salvation. What he's planning to do with this world. And is an already but not yet hope. For in this hope we were saved. Paul says. The hope of glory. Which is a final hope. Theologians and Bible scholars have wrestled 
for thousands of years to try to understand and explain this tension that exists in our lives, but certainly in the scriptures between what what God has done, what God is doing, and what God is going to do. And so these scholars and theologians, they've tried to come up with some helpful ways for us to understand this process, for us to understand this, this tension that exists between the now and the not yet. And so that's what one of these devices is called, the now and not yet, the already but not yet, already but not yet, which is a helpful way to understand that God has already accomplished his plan of salvation through the life and death and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ, but his plan is not finished. His final redemption of this world and of us is not completed. In other words, there's still more that God is going to do. Another helpful way to understand this, and forgive me, this is getting a little nerdy. I try not to be too nerdy with y'all. But it's called the ICC. And Richard Pratt, who's preached in this pulpit before, he's the one who taught me this. It's very, very helpful. We like acronyms in the Presbyterian Church, so here's another one, ICC. And it means that the kingdom of God has been inaugurated. That's the I. It has been inaugurated. Christ is the king. He has come. He has lived. He has died. He's conquered sin and death. And his kingdom is here, and it is coming. And that is the second thing, that it is continuing Christ's work is continuing in his church and in this world, even now by the Holy Spirit and the work of the church going forward. So his kingdom has been inaugurated. It is continuing now through the work of the Holy Spirit, through the church of the living God. But it is still one day to be consummated when Christ returns. It has been inaugurated. It is continuing now, but yet it is to be consummated. Why do I tell you this? It is so that you understand what Paul means here, that there is a glory yet to be revealed. Not a new glory, not a a different glory that has already been revealed to us, but a final glory, a complete glory, a perfect glory, one that includes the redemption and the completion of all of creation and even of our frail bodies. To Christians who were being tortured, who were being murdered at the Roman church, experiencing some of the the worst sufferings that Christians have ever endured, he is giving them this hope that their bodies will be made new, that will be redeemed in the new heavens and the new earth, a place where we will be forever with the living God, a place where there will be no sun because in the heavens... The Son of God will be the light and the glory of the new heavens and the new earth. And so that's why Paul goes into all this explanation in these four verses about creation. I mean, he went on a a tour de force here for four verses about what God is going to do for creation because he's saying, look to even creation. Even creation is longing for this redemption plan of God to be completed. And so creation is personified here. He's not talking about Mother Nature. He's just personifying creation to show what this experience of this new heavens and new earth is going to be like. 
because even the creation shared in the fall and the marring of our world. But even creation, he says, is longing for this full redemption. Even creation, like us, is longing to be restored. And so there's this eagerness. That's why he says there is this eager expectation. Or it's like a mother in the pains of childbirth. There's this expectation, this this picture of this, this longing. Or this eager expectation, this eager longing, it's, it's like someone up on their tippy toes just can't wait to see what's going to happen. This eager longing to share in the glory that is to come. It's like the end of a good movie or a good novel. What's going to happen? It's going to be good. I haven't slept in three days because it's so good. This is the posture that we and all of creation is to have for what is going to happen, this hope, this already, but not yet. What God is going to do, it's going to be amazing. It's going to be glorious. Just just wait for it. So how do we cope now? How do we wait with eager expectation? We do so with patience. That's what Paul says in verse 25. We wait for it with patience. It's like the worst thing in the world for me. I am so impatient. My parents have a cartoon on their refrigerator that has a little child saying, Lord, please give me patience, but I want it right now. My dad's like, that's for you. Yes, it is. But we, we, we do not hope for what we see. We hope for what we cannot see. In the words that we sang from the depths of woe written by Martin Luther based on Psalm 130, I loved it. Therefore my trust is in the Lord and not in mine own merit. On him my soul shall rest. His word upholds my fainting spirit. His promised mercy is my fort, my comfort, and my sweet support. I wait for it with patience. We must wait for it with patience. My friends, this all ends up, this whole world, all of our lives, it all ends up that something that is so glorious of what God is going to do. And what Paul is trying to tell the, the church in Rome and what we need to hear at Cornerstone Presbyterian Church is that the glory to be revealed does not hold a candle to the suffering that we are experiencing now in our world and in our lives. And that the Holy Spirit is the guarantee of what God is going to do. And even creation is in this mode of anticipation and of eager longing of what God is going to do. Because what God has in store for his children, Paul says in 2 Corinthians, is an eternal weight of glory. The word for glory in Hebrew, kabod, means weightiness. And so Paul uses a double positive there, the, the, the weightiness of weighty glory. <laughs> Hear what he says in 2 Corinthians 4. For this light and monetary, momentary affliction is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. Here's what this looks like. The other day, I don't know if you've noticed, but our days are really short right now. It's like 
just turned daylight like an hour ago. The other day, one of my children walked outside early in the morning as we were preparing to leave for school. And it was still, it was light outside, but the sun had not yet come up. And as he looked to the east, I heard him get really excited. I just saw the sun peak. Its first rays come up over the mountain. The glorious rays began to shine down on our little corner of the planet. My friends, that is what the glory to be revealed is like. We look to the horizon. We look to the new heavens and the new earth to see what this is going to be like, this glory to be revealed when the glorious rays of God come shining forth in this world and the clouds are rolled back as a scroll and God's glory shines through this dark and suffering day that we live in and there will be a glory that we have never seen before that cannot be compared. But for now, we wait for it with patience. We look to the horizon. We wait for those rays to break over the horizon because this glory to be revealed, it's going to be amazing. It's going to be a glory that is worth looking forward to, a future hope that we long for. And so come quickly, Lord Jesus. Come. Let's pray. Oh, Father, it's... It's hard for us to imagine what this is going to be like. And rightfully so, for the Apostle Paul tells us that there's nothing to compare it to. There's nothing compared to your love. There's nothing compared to the hope that you have for us. There's there's nothing compared to the answers that you give us in your word for the longings that we have, for the hope that we are anticipating, for the suffering that we experience now. We thank you, O Lord, for the hope that is in Christ. We thank you that he endured the suffering of the cross so that he would be crowned with all glory, laud, and honor and that he would share in that inheritance with us, the church. We give you thanks and we give you praise and we look and hope to you not just for what you have done, not just for what you are doing right now, but Lord, for what you are going to do. We praise you and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.